As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Spotting visiting fans for a European tie just mooching around your home city. Childish, borderline pathetic nicknames fans give to their local rivals' home ground. The precise rhythm and intonation of a perfect full-time whistle. Teams being guilty of trying to score the perfect goal. Goalkeepers who rush out with the ball from a corner only to find nobody to distribute it to. And the eternal and unexplained flaw of Wikipedia football career summaries. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and your Meza. Harlan Dix. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 241 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to preside over today's listeners mess at Harlan Dix is first of all James Moore, my editor. How's it going? <laughs> Hi Adam, yeah, good thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm alright. This is your 29th cap and um, that puts you in England terms alongside Danny Rose and Jack Grealish. Um, to which of those do you identify more? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably Jack Grealish, but I don't really know why. No. I feel like you only ever mention this when I come on now as well. I don't think anyone else ever gets the cap. I mean, I guess you can't really do it with Charlie or Dave. You're in a you? good realm for yeah, this sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. But yeah, maybe you are Jack Grealish, sort of a desirable presence, but maybe yeah. not Maybe not always the first name on the team sheet. And, you know, uh, that, that's just as how it's reflected. I would describe that as generous, so thank you. Delighted to have you nonetheless. Even more delighted, really, statistically speaking, to welcome alongside you Jack Lang, who ends his 238-episode spell in the cliché's wilderness. The things you've missed. Oh, t- tears in my eyes here, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that reflects on my first appearance. Probably not well, if we're honest. Um, but yeah, that's still knocking around. The Phil Jones of the podcast. Episode three was a good episode. Anyway... Uh, before we get stuck into this month's Mesut Highland Dicks with the listeners, I've got a brief adjudication panel to guide you through. Um, two of the items here may mean nothing to you because you weren't on Tuesday's pod, but let's see. On Tuesday's pod, we heard this wonderful clip from Craven Cottage of an angry Fulham fan as Arsenal put them to the sword. Trick from Trossard, stands the cross up, underneath it, Martinelli heads it home and Arsenal have a two-goal cushion here at Craven Cottage. Yeah, really enjoyed that, as did many people. And... Um, Perhaps I underestimated the reach of this podcast because very shortly after that, I got a message from a Michael Cox, not that one, who says, Adam, I feel honoured. I've made my cliches debut. Not the way I expected, but I was still quite excited to hear my rant at Anthony Robinson at Fulham versus Arsenal on Sunday. My old man instantly said to me to keep the language down being next to the press box. Um, <laughs> James, what what are the odds of this? I mean, that is incredible. And having watched a lot of uh, football with the other Michael Cox, I can confirm... Uh, but actually, his language probably wouldn't quite be as blue as that, to be fair. So, yeah. It sounded a little bit like you, actually. 
Really? You think in so? In sort of, you know, full abuse mode. I mean, that is definitely the kind of thing I would shout. Fair enough. I've never, I've never seen any kind of footage of James Moore going OTT at a Kingstonian match. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, thanks. I'm glad that's not easy to Google anyway. Cheers. Second one to follow up. This was thoroughly enjoyable. This was um, Simon Grayson's name being chanted to the rafters by Bengaluru fans. <laughs> Now, we commented at the time, Jack, that um, this was something of a fascinating career trajectory for Simon Grayson after his fairly middling UK football career as a manager. Um, Jonathan Keim writes in, says, On the Simon Grayson chance, I remember being at Peterborough away the week that rumours of him having an affair came to light and singing, He's Simon Grayson, he shags who he wants. He turned and applauded us. What what an incredible range of chants that man has experienced. I like about that. I think he's actually clapping in time with, with the fans there. So I'm clearly a man who, who respects the art of, of the fan. I mean, frankly, I can't bring his face to mind, which probably <laughs> captures just how mid-level a, a presence he is. Look at I'm my like, face. Mm. And add on about 17 years. Okay. Well, that's catch-up complete. A new one for you now. Um, now, as the goals reigned in at the Etihad on Tuesday night, we could all have been forgiven for, I don't know, losing count. This man, however, cannot be forgiven for losing count. City are through. And by, well, nearly a cricket score. So Manchester City get the win, that man gets the match ball and this team get a place in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. It's smiles and high fives all around. Nice of him to issue a correction immediately, James, but uh, this is the hubris of the Man City Stadium announcer coming back to haunt him after all his... After all his bravado with some of his goal announcements, getting the score wrong in a Champions League game. That is pretty strange. I mean, given that the last goal was like in injury time. So it must have been fairly sort of fresh to his mind. Mm. And not just to get the score on the night wrong, but then calculate the the aggregate score incorrectly as well. Yeah. Bit of a double whammy. Is there an so element he, didn't, he didn't just miss, misspeak. He's mm. obviously sat, he's written it down and read it out wrong. Is there an element of cheek here, Jack, do you think? Or is it a deliberate mistake? I wouldn't think. Wouldn't think it gets me thinking. Like, what what is a sackable offence for a stadium announcer? That I mean, how how many of them do you get before you you get a talking to? Surely max two. Well, we yes. are in the realms of you had one job, really. I guess, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was my instinct. I almost wrote that down in the running order, but realised this wasn't the internet in twenty oh eight. Who says twenty oh eight? Don't know. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's do it. Let's do Mez at Harland Dicks. With you, the listeners, absolutely stunning crop of selections this week. I, I once again had to break the three and three rule for Meza Highland Dicks to accommodate it all. And uh, we begin with James Wellham, whose voice I can best describe as if David Walker was doing CBB's bedtime stories. One of my loves of football is seeing fans on an overseas away trip. <laughs> Stepping out of my office last October... I saw four fans in Bodo Glimpse scarves having a stroll around London before their game with Arsenal. I was delighted. Football fans, come all the way to London for a game. What a cool thing to do. I hope they have a blast. Of course, I was far too embarrassed to say any of this to them. But as I walked past them, I was beaming inside. It was just great to see. That is pure audiobook of child's picture books. So good. Oh, the best fantastic. delivered voice note we've had by an absolute mile. So much so that I've almost forgotten how, how any opinion I had on the sentiment involved, Jack. But let's do this. On your travels across the capital or anywhere, really, have you sort of stumbled across sort of travelling foreign fans and just thought, oh, nice to have you here. Is, is that the overriding sentiment here? Just nice to have you. Yes. You don't, I mean, you don't get it that much in London because it's so big and so, uh, you know, spread out. It did make me think of, not a feeling I'm proud of, but a little pang of kind of pride slash... A dirty feeling of pride when you clock someone in that and, and you say to someone who, who you're with who doesn't follow football and you, you'll be like, yeah, they're, they're probably going to the game at Arsenal later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just thinking that your vague knowledge of the football fixture list, yeah, to, I've got some inside knowledge on that. Actually, they're probably a, 
probably heading up to the Emirates. All the merchandise they're wearing, just not adding to the uh, to the clues there. Yes, yeah, the easiest spot of all. You're right, um, James. Maybe this maybe this sensation just expands to to all tourists that you see on um, on public transport in London. They'll just think, well, you're going to enjoy London more than I am on any given day. Oh, I do actually remember. I think it was the 2012 Olympics. I was walking up the road, an entire family of Americans with um, with Hope Solo shirts on. Wow. All of them. And I just thought, ah, you're going to have a great day. Fair yeah, play to you. Good. I'm going to have a miserable day. I'm probably going to watch the swimming on TV. You're going to go to a game with Hope Solo on the back of your shirt. Yeah, I mean, this probably sits between what you've just said and the original point. But I think when you see people going to a game and you know what game they're going to, regardless of whether or not it's a European game, I think that is quite exciting. Like when you see like, I don't know, if you're going around London and you see like a sort of Cambridge United shirt or whatever, and then you look up on your phone who they're playing and try and work out where they might be going or whatever. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned this might not exist as much in, in London, but as recently as last Monday night, when we were out for the View from the Lane get-together drinks, and on the next table in the pub that we were in were a group of Dortmund fans who were obviously off to Stamford Bridge the following evening. And we were all very excited to see this group of Dortmund fans set in a relatively quiet pub. So, yeah, it's definitely a real pure feeling. How how long did you resist the urge to strike up conversation? Because, I mean, it's, it's just obligatory. You have to do it. I think, yeah, I, th- I think Danny Kelly might have spoken to them, as you probably wouldn't be surprised to learn. But I, I wasn't tempted to get into that conversation. Which you know players have played up. for Dortmund and Spurs? Because that is, that's the oh. first port of call, right? Oh, there must be. I mean, I think Stephen Pienaar comes to mind, but I don't know how much conversation there'd be there. Yeah, I mean, the, the key here, if you ever do interact with these fans that you sort of spot on your travels, Jack, for an away game in Europe, is to kind of just sort of say the first player that comes into your head that might have played for them and then hope that they will be impressed that you've known who they are. Yeah, but it can't be a current player. You've got to go yes. back at least 10 years to get the kind of credit. So you're looking, yeah, you see a... I mean, I can't do Bodo Glint. I, I would really struggle with Bodo Glint, both <laughs> as a unified force and indeed in their constituent parts back in the day. Just Wouldn't be like, help. Ola Solbakken, just moved to Roma. Good player, <laughs> wasn't he? But yeah, not enough not enough cachet in the modern player. Yeah, you, you want to be going back to mid-90s. I've definitely done this with, like, on my uh, anti-natal course, there was a guy from Florence. And ah, he, he was he was only, I have to say, wasn't that interested in football, but... I was just dropping like force the issue. Come on, when you had Nintendo on the front of your shirt, mate. Oh, how good was that? Oh. Fantastic. Oh. I mean, just imagine the, how you'd feel if you like walking through London and you saw a Deportivo fan. The conversation you could strike up about Jalmini or whoever else—it'd be yeah. incredible. That yeah. I think that's the sweet spot. It's it, it's about it's about impressing them and fulfilling yourself more than anything. Not really about welcoming them at all, is it? Okay, but yeah, thanks, James Wellham. Honestly, if we get a better delivered voice note than that. I'm Ezra Holland Dix. For the rest of time, I'll be delighted. Next up, it's Stan Beal. Hi, guys. My obscure love of football is the terrible nicknames that fans tend to give to the ground of their rival team. So, for example, I'm a Plymouth Argyle fan, and our fans will sometimes call the ground of Exeter City by delightfully contemporary Sid James Park, while they call our ground Gnome Park in return. Now, I, w- I was delighted to... Not not the most highbrow, uh, you know, footballing subculture, James, by any stretch of the message, but it's really, really satisfying, I have to say. It, it's it's the it's kind of the quaintest form of interrival fan kind of sentiment, isn't it? I mean, it's just <laughs> it's it, utterly benign. It's not gonna have any effect on the rival incre- fans at all. It's incredibly internet, isn't it? It's the kind of thing you put on Twitter or on like a message board or whatever, but it's mm. not the kind of thing you would ever say out loud, I don't think. I mean, I could be wrong. I can't imagine myself ever talking about Cashbird and Grove out loud. <laughs> it's been a long time since anyone's called it that. That is so internet, isn't it? I mean, conversely, though, James, have, have you ever been remotely irritated by the concepts of three-point lane or indeed <laughs> shite heart lane? I mean, I hadn't considered either of those for quite a long time, but no, really? I, I reckon probably in the time I was talking about Cashbird and Grove on message boards in 2006, I would have been annoyed by that, yes. Jack, Let's have a whistle-stop tour through the deluge of suggestions we got from other listeners for this phenomenon. I'm just, I'm just having a flick through now. I mean, most of them. Stamford Fridge? I mean, that's just a rhyme, isn't it? It's 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 cold. Ouch. <laughs> that's rubbish. Yeah. Hinkley Blade and many other Sheffield United fans got in touch uh, with this um, Sheffield transaction. Very, very tidy transaction this is, James. He says, we call theirs Swillsborough and they call <laughs> ours Bumhole Lane. <laughs> Which I don't think it syntactically is accurate enough. 
I, I'm fairly sure. I, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but I'm fairly sure in Sheffield. In fact, they might they might even just refer to each other as the pigs. Is that right? I have a feeling that's like some kind of long-standing nickname. I was going to say beef, but I guess it would be pork. But, <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, but, you know, so Swillsborough, that works really well. Yeah. I mean, what was it, Bumhole Lane? Maybe yeah, not you say, so much. If you say Bumhole, I suppose. It, yeah, Bumhole and Bramhole. Yeah, I guess it's, it's oh, all yeah, in the okay. pronunciation, Yeah, that's it? true. Yeah. These are all very, not child-friendly, but they're in the kind of 11 to 15-year-old level puns. Yes. Which I, I, quite, I, quite, I quite like. They're not, they're not really nasty. They're just they're yeah. kind of gentle. Yeah. <laughs> sort of directionless abuse. Uh, uh, more than one set of fan bases, Jack, um, referred to their nominally larger rivals home ground as Mordor um, <laughs> this goes for Everton at Anfield and um, Celtic fans to Rangers who <laughs> let me take back that bit about them being bigger they are equal in my eyes <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah uh, Travis Newton has an, uh, has an advancement on the Goodison thing he says I've heard of Wooderson referred to in the past due to the old school nature of the interior you do, you kind of one that you need to explain Jack well again and I think Wooden elements of stadiums generally a beloved feature. <laughs> yeah, that's like, about goodness, and you can't slag it off. That sounds fantastic. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just gets sillier and sillier. James Joe Fairs says it gets pretty heated in East Anglia, Carrot Road, and Portaloo Road. <laughs> Should we just do this I mean, for an hour? Portaloo Road sounds too much like uh, BBC drama Waterloo Road. Yeah, I mean the nickname may predate that, but that's mm. all I can think of now. I mean, that, that, those are both those both work. What's, what's offensive about a carrot? <laughs> but it's phallic in a way. Um, toilets are very much a running theme, Jack, through all of this. Anything that you can equate to a toilet into either in terms of its shape or or hopefully just, you know, something that you can rhyme is always handy because toilets are, you know, universally understood to be unpleasant, right? Yeah. I mean, so, some of them, I can't. Turd morgue, is that turf more, I guess? Yeah, yeah it, it is. Great, fantastic. The theatre of chips. Is the Macaire. Yeah, well, that's I mean, an offshoot, isn't it? That's just playful sort of turns on the kind of sponsored stadium, the spaghetti yeah, head of I've, Livingston. I think you have to draw a distinction between the ones that are done on the sponsorship ones, which I think are, they're more of an open goal. Yeah. You want, you want to be talking about the original name here. Okay, uh, two more for you, um, which are wildly disparate in terms of their certification. Let's start with Matt Kultas, Grimsby fan, goes to Lincoln and calls it Sinsel Wank. <laughs> right. <laughs> And for the kids out there, Lewis, um, another nice handy 50-50 situation up in the northwest. He says, Gloomfield Road and Dumpdale for both Blackpool and Preston's grounds always gives me a laugh. That, and that's, that's a nice little way to have it, I think, James. It, it, it's not, not being too lewd, not, being, not, not suggesting it's too much of a you know, disgusting place. Just just the fact that misery happens there, I think, is a nice way to pitch it. A Glimfield Road feels like the kind of thing, if you were like a sort of, you know, down-on-your-luck Blackpool fan, that you might refer to it as that yourself anyway. Glimfield Road could be a stadium in a comic, Jack. I, I'm, I'm now struggling to think, apart from someone asking you to list these on Twitter, when do they use these between themselves? Do you think orally? Maybe sat in the pub, right, come on then, let's... Online forums, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone says he's out loud ever. Yeah. Dumpdale's really good, but also Preston Stadium's really nice. But <laughs> it's got clearly really nice. Um, so uh, I, d- I don't know about the surrounding areas uh, or indeed the infrastructure. So uh, better in mind. But yes, yes. Thank you, Stan Beale, for lowering the tone in the most delightful way. Next up is CJ. He says the intonation of a full-time whistle, the third prolonged blow. Perfectly communicates that the game is finished. So much so that an alien could come and watch the game and know that this whistle means it's all over. How does your ideal full-time whistle sound? I, I swear there's some variation here, James. I, I, there's definitely some referees who go a bit rogue with the full-time whistle. If, you know, you just about can hear it on TV. And I, I swear there are some some maverick attempts at this. Yeah, I mean, actually, when you think about it, like, it's quite a sort of ornate, over-the-top thing for what should be quite a definitive moment, really. Like, it should be incredibly quick. It Mm. should be, like, an instantaneous thing. But quite often, I mean, like, in big European games, quite often you'll hear, like, a long and drawn-out one. Yeah. Like, a, I mean, do you want me to whistle into the microphone? Yeah, Is that going to work? Give it a try. Why not? Let's let's really test myself here. Mm. Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> can't whistle under pressure. <laughs> I'm definitely screen grabbing that. That's, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, accents and whistling. <laughs> oh, no, I can't do it. <laughs> it has got stage fright. Oh, An unprecedented no. act of bottling. 
I can't. I can't do it. You just can't laugh and whistle at the same time. Yeah, whistling and laughing. Um, luckily enough, I have sourced a whistle. It's the first use I've ever made of my uh, my Rhodes community WhatsApp group. Day after day of people asking what recycling it is that needs to be put out, and then it's me popping up with anyone got a whistle? Here it is. Before I blow, James, let's speculate. But why does it need to be three? Do you think it's sort of to, to differentiate it from I don't know a, just a regular foul? Yeah, presumably. It, yeah, it tells you this is this is definitively the end of the game. If, I mean, I guess it's possible to accidentally whistle twice, but yeah. presumably whistling three times is seen as enough of a differential. Differential, and, so, and any more than three times, that's kind of the mm. oi, you lot pack it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ending aggro like a Victorian policeman. The linesmen are both the linesmen are both running onto the pitch. So maybe three is about right. There's a it's it's enough to differentiate it from usual whistling it's got it's got some poise about it some sustained notes and any more than that would would be quite indulgent so let's do this and, and I, I want you to focus on the third blow if you could because i think this is quite crucial and this is where some referees really don't go quite far enough anyway you have to have the flourish of the third one right so yeah so you want two relatively sharp peeps a peep a peep and then the final peep which is the you know traditionally the longer peep jack you want it to go Duh! yeah you don't just want it to be a long note because that's boring exactly you want it you want to kind of dip into it and then crescendo to the Big end time. yeah you said there is scope for variety i can't think of any reasonable variations to that or i can't think of any many that i've heard and i'd be interested to see if you two had because you do that, occasionally for me for me that is textbook and i very i can't remember a single instance when that hasn't been yeah thought. i don't want to manufacture a debate here i, if there I, is I think to be. i think you do occasionally get quite a flat third note like a sort of sustained like duh, 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 yeah rather than the isn't it? yeah That's rubbish isn't it but maybe james the the flourish of the third note is it goes really well with the kind of movement of the hands now so what's your what's your favored referee signal for this game is over yeah good question i guess it's like a some, double some a double hands up in the air a double they? handed hands to the air then with a real flourish like a point basically down the tunnel i think oh, that's down what the you tunnel want. Isn't that? Oh, no, I guess it's kind of down to the centre spot, right? Isn't it? Or maybe yes, it's the, maybe. I don't know actually. Can't because tunnels can be all over the shot. Well, that's what I was. That's where I was going. Selhurst yeah. Park's pointing to the corner, <laughs> right down to yeah. the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Old Wembley behind one goal. Yeah. Due, due north, just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> magnetic full time. With all that in mind, as beloved as all of that was, I, I take issue, Jack, with CJ's assertion that an alien could come over to watch a game and know that this whistle means it's all over. Uh, is it? Is it that universal a sound? I think. I think coupled with the arms, there does need to be some arm movement there. And I, I wouldn't be going up. I, I think just straight down, two hands parallel. That's that's what I'm talking. About. And I don't like. I don't like a point. We're not. We're not cricket here. No, agreed. Yeah, full palm action and no pointing to the skies. Because I mean that that looks like you're you're. I don't know. Blowing full time for a dead relative, doesn't it, James? <laughs> I was going to say it's quite Luis Suarez. But I don't think that was a dead relative, was it? No, don't think so. Not sure. Anyway, thanks, CJ. Next up, Joe Gallagher. Hi, guys. So my niche love in football is this. Occasionally you'll hear some podcast or see an interview from someone in and around football who knew a bang average professional footballer as a child. Maybe they went to school together or something. Anyway, I just love hearing how elite they were as young players, just how much better they were than the rest. Uh, we all know that your Holands, your Canes of this world just tore it up as kids, but there's something so reassuring about hearing that Will Hughes was the best year five that primary school X had ever seen. Now, I'm trying to do the mental calculations here, Jack, of the ratio between the number of football league professionals and schools. Because it feels like there could only be one or two players from each school. Maybe it's every school year, perhaps. Maybe this is what I'm thinking about. But that are that good. You never get that much concentration of talent. So... The examples that he gives, or, or maybe someone like Lee Catamole, for example, uh, still a very capable footballer in the grand scheme of things. There is a chance that, well, there's a very high chance that at school, he was the best player in his year. And it makes you think, what was he doing at that age that made him stand out? Was he just doing lots of things really well? Or was he just like a 50 goal a season striker and then just became a jobbing midfielder? Well, as someone who's written a lot of profiles that revolve around speaking to people about... <laughs> this is why I've got you. Yeah, how good they were aged eight or nine. I think there's broadly two categories. There's the, yeah, you'd never seen anything like him. Believe me, he was unbelievable, which probably isn't the catamole type. And then you've got the other type who's like, yeah, tell you what, wasn't that special, but could read the game. <laughs> and that I think that's that's where catamole comes into it. Sort of wisdom beyond their years. I don't find this reassuring 
like Joe says, it's reassuring. I find this kind of terrifying. Why? Because it, it, it just shows, like, you know, no matter how good you are, the pond you're in is really small. Yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, it wasn't, oh, we could all get there. For me, it was like, oh, my God, you know, even if you're the best in your school, you're pretty unlikely to get there. Would it not be quite disheartening if you went to school with Lee Catamol and he was like head and shoulders, you know, he could be like, he was probably not just the best in his year, but better than like anyone in the year above or two years above maybe. If you were two years above Lee Catamol at school and you were like, wow, this kid is amazing at football. He's his shorts really he's, hard. <laughs> it's incredible. He's going to make it. He's going to play in the Premier League, England under-21s, whatever else. And then it actually happens and you watch him play. And the rest of the country's just taking the piss out of him and he's seen mm. as a bit of a clogger and you're like, mm, what does that make me? Yeah, I know. I know, it's all relative and it, it really does make you question the whole football food chain, actually. Well, that's Premier, that's Premier League as well. I think how many schools, like the best player is, you know, a League Two sub. Yeah. And, and then you think, yeah, God, I thought, I thought he was the one. Yeah. Um, just got to show how fucking good you have to be to be a professional, or even non-league footballer. And um, yeah, it's actually quite disheartening now I think about it. Um, I mean, I was the best at my school and I was nowhere near becoming a footballer. So, yeah, this maybe that's why I took it in the uh, in a way that made me want to cry rather than <laughs> fill me with joy. My, uh, my final point on this, James, is um, uh, to take Jack's first kind of template for superstar player who was at school. Um, what kind of benchmark are you putting on goals they scored in any season when they were 11? Like, it's such stupid numbers, like 80 minimum. Because I, mean, like, 50, 50 I was low, hitting 30 as a kid, and I thought, looking back, that's 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 pretty good. But no, 80 at least. And it's always for the school team as well. Not they, well they never talk about, about their Sunday league team. What about county team? You quite often get, oh, he was playing for the county team. He scored he scored 50 goals for Hampshire schools or whatever else. Yeah. It's like, I didn't have, we didn't have that many games when we're in. And I played like sort of three times a year. Yeah. What did he score? 80 goals in three games. He must have been good. But yeah, stratospheric figures. I think it's, it's like, that is part of the CV, Jack, for like a current strikers having banged in 100 goals in one season. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, do, do we even reference the school figures? I, I tend to think we go straight to like youth team figures. Cause it should be on their Wikipedia page, shouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, someone like like a Romario will have school goals on his yeah. Portuguese Wikipedia, without doubt. Yeah, yeah. playground goals, got to count them. Got to yeah. Count them, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, oh, they never played in the playground because they were just <laughs> above it. That's when you knew they were good. They, just, they didn't even bother to slum it in the playground with a squashed coke can as a as a ball. That's where the real skills were developed. Next up, I love this one. I love it. And it's from Dom Eddy. Hi guys, my football fascination is a nice moment at Sunday League of ball recognizing ball. When you're playing an aggressive Sunday league team and there is one more polite, quiet player on the opposition side that appreciates a pass that you've just played and whispers, nice pass, mate, to you out of respect, making sure to be quiet enough to not let on that they're fraternising with the enemy. They'll usually do this on the run and they won't even look at you in the eyes just to make sure they don't blow their cover. Often at the end of the game, they'll come and shake your hand and be genuinely complimentary about your performance and also apologise for their teammates' behaviour. It's just a nice moment. Now, interesting, Jack, that... Dom Eddy here is the recipient in this scenario. Now I'm I'm more of the I'm more of the deliverer of, of the compliment here, but um I'm trying to work out what the motivation here because it, it, from the outside it looks like a classy touch, like you know sportsmanship. But I think I think it's more it's more for yourself, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean I I'm with you. This spoke directly to my like the inner depths of my soul. I mm. felt very uh, seen as the youngsters would say by mm-hmm. this. Yeah, and I, I'm always the deliverer. And I think I've been thinking about it this morning and I think it reveals a deep strain of obsequiousness in my personality. I'm not, <laughs> nice. I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but I, I want people to like me. Whether that's, uh, okay. No, that, that's that is what it is. That is. My editor, etc., or just some random bloke on the other five or <laughs> Oh, nice edit, mate. Well done. But okay, so, so what scenario are you complimenting most commonly? I mean, to me, it's usually like you have to you have to hit right at the top end. It has to be a finish. Anything less than that, it's like shut up, mate. What are you getting involved for? No, 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 no. Never the finish because like oh. everyone praises the finish. Oh, great finish, mate. Great finish. Guy who played like the pass before, or maybe the <laughs> maybe the penultimate pass, <laughs> and and he's just running away on his own. Oh, good ball, mate. Okay. I've got this. I've got this image of of James. I've got this image of Jack running over after the opposition was scored, pointing at the guy who did the assist. Going, oh, it's all about you, mate. Look at this guy right here. I mean, to, to me, it feels like for the purist, surely it's like the idea, the attempt. So may, maybe it's nothing that actually comes up. It's like, you know, like a clever pass that didn't quite like hit its mark or 
a shot just off target or they hit the woodwork or whatever, you can kind of then quite magnanimously say, good idea, nice thinking, good effort, oh, whatever. No Without it, yeah, exactly. It's oh, not okay. actually hurt your team. Okay, that's good. But you're, you're right, Adam, to say that it is, it's not about the other guy. It is entirely about the person delivering it. it, it yeah. And I think it's, this guy played that pass. He, 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 it is ball nose ball, exactly as the, the reader yeah. said. You're saying, all these other guys pra- praising the finish, I know football well enough to know that that was your ball, mate, that... Oh, so it's about cultural capital for you. Whereas me, it's just it's essentially just flirting. Is it? I, I want I want the interaction with someone I don't know, and I want them to validate me. But we've talked about the sentiment and the motivation for this, Jack. But I want to talk about the transaction itself because um, I don't know. Seemingly, you do this willy nilly, and, and it seems to pay off for you. But I always fear once I've uttered the great, lovely goal back, mate, that they're just going to completely not acknowledge you. And it's a very anxious wait to find out whether they are going to complete the transaction or not. Uh, it hasn't been often that they don't do it, but when they return with a simple, ah, oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> yeah, I just hit it really, to be honest. But, ah, oh, yes, love it. Thank you. Thank you. Nice little conversation we've got going. Yeah, just human touch. Like, especially post-COVID, I've played five-a-side a lot recently and I, I, I'm i just desperate for someone to, like, say anything to me. Mm. But, yeah, you're right. Like, the, the blank, I'd, ra- I'd rather be told to do one. Get get lost, mate. You're the, you're the opposition. But it's, it's the um just just the look. The look at you, it's like, I don't care. Like, it's that classic part, partridgean. This yeah. won't work well on audio, but the shrug. Like, oh, what's, what's that? <laughs> Everyone knows the partridge shrug. It does hurt. Happen. It does hurt. Two more points on this, James. I've actually taken a more kind of collective, wider approach to this in recent five-a-side games, um, where I, I, I now kind of routinely applaud good goals by the opposition. And I think this is a, there's an element here of this isn't bothering me. Like I'm a, I'm a pathetic loser. I am in the top 1% of bad losers in society. I'm like four-year-old when it comes to losing in any context. But the only way I've, I've learned to deal with it is to start overcompensating and start applauding opposition goals because I think that will... Does that put me on their side a bit and I get a bit of the glory? Does it, does it make you feel better? Yeah, it does. Oh, okay. It does have some value then, but what then? What do your teammates make of that when you're kind of ostentatiously, effectively celebrating opposition goals? Tend to join in. Okay. Very much a pied piper there situation. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah, just yeah, it just softens the blow. But you know, in a kind of football fan context, in professional football, James, have you ever? Could you ever applaud a goal scored against Tottenham? Um, Could you ever be one of those people behind the goals? Who I don't think you see anymore. It's very much a mid to late 90s thing of people who just stand up and go, yeah, fair play, pretty good. Mostly Letizia goals, I recall. Yeah, that is true, very much so. Probably not a Letizia goal now. No, uh, retired. So. For, yeah, that is true. Yeah, I reckon I probably could in the right circumstances. I don't, I don't feel like anyone would ever do it with like a sort of decisive late goal in an important game. But if there was no sort of sense of peril, then uh, I, think think I, I, th- I think I could probably bring myself to do that. Demonstratively actually applaud it, though. Yeah, that's the only way to do it, though, isn't it? You, ca- yeah. you can't just sort of subtly just sort of like, you know, clap like down you could, by you your do... waist. You have to kind of properly like, oh, yes, yes, yes. You could just look around and go, oh, good goal, to be fair. There's a fine line, though, isn't there? Like, I think I think for me, I'm an iconoclast. Like, if, if it's just me saying good goal, that makes me feel really cool. But the minute it's really widespread, mm. like the idea, yeah, of, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. the idea that comes to mind is like, oh, player gets standing ovation from opposition fans. <laughs> Ronaldinho at the Bernabeu. That makes me sick. Yeah, I would uh, want to be involved in that, a famous one. Yeah. I want to do it on my yeah. own terms. Yeah, But I can perfectly well imagine Ronaldinho scoring a good goal, me clapping mm. and being like, yeah. oh, that feels good. Everyone else joining in and me turning. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Come on. He- heavy touch, actually. Not so great. <laughs> just just toe punted it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, iconoclast and obsequiousness. That is why it took 238 episodes for you to be back on the Football Clichés podcast, Jack. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Right, welcome back to Meza Harland Dicks with you, the listeners. Time for your irritations now and we kick things off with Mark Lewis. Hello panel, my niche irritation is commentators' preoccupation that Team X are guilty of trying to score the perfect goal. To me it seems to be a criticism that's been around since the mid-noughties and Wenger's arsenal. It always gets me thinking, what is the perfect goal? What does that look like? Is it synonymous with Team Y are trying to walk it in? Was Wiltshire's goal v Norwich in 2013 the embodiment of both or either? Help. So before we get into specific goal scoring acts, Jack, I want to talk about the word perfect here because I put it to you that the the perfect goal as hypothesised in these observations is not, in fact, a goal that would be described by perfect by any kind of denomination a football philosopher. I don't think a Pep Guardiola perfect goal would be like the goal that people claim is going to be the perfect one. I don't think even going back to Charles Reap, I don't think even he would consider a perfect goal to be that sort of thing. So what do you think the perfect goal looks like in that hypothesis? What is it they're claiming is the perfect goal? I thought of three criteria and you can shoot me down. The first one, I think... I want the goalkeeper to be a complete non-factor in the finish. So I, I think the goalkeeper has to be either taken out of the equation by the move mm. or by just the position that the shot is taken from. So like if the goalie is getting near the ball, it's, that's not perfect enough for me. Okay, And he's almost a foregone conclusion before the finish. The second one, I think it, it always refers to against a very boxed, deep set defence. I don't think people are talking about a perfect goal in a counter-attack, even though yes. I think that's actually a nicer goal. Yes. Trying to score the perfect goal is like, oh, look at these jokers, 10 men behind the ball on the edge of their own box, figure a way through that. And then the third thing, I think you need at least four or five of your players to be involved in the move. Like, I don't think it's enough. You can't have a solo perfect goal. That's No, you can't. You that's a given. Go. So it has to be a team goal then. I think so, but I think you need I think it needs to be multiple actors. You can't just have like two players combining. That's not perfect enough for me. It's got to be four or five minimum. Uh, oh, just to clarify, Jack, it it basically essentially has to be a tap in, right? Or or all the simplest of tasks. Yeah. Or can it have any sort of flourish the finish? No, I think it has to be a tap in, yeah. Okay. Okay. So Using that template, James, you can see why teams get accused of trying to score the perfect goal because that's all about over-elaboration, isn't it? Like almost willful um, mucking about instead of being efficient. Yeah. I mean, I think I think when people are using it in the pejorative sense, that is what they mean, like completely overdoing it, like like, like, like compl- being completely over-elaborate with like the move and making unnecessary passes, unnecessary flicks and tricks. And I think when it was a criticism of Arsenal, as mentioned in the clip, that was definitely what it was. Um, so I think Jack's description is actually like the actual perfect goal in a way. Like I feel like they like the 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 kind of negative sense of it is like that with loads of unnecessary stuff in the middle of it. It's interesting that you say that because you know if we if we were going to try and find a convergent point between the supposed perfect goal and this perfect goal as conjured up by the mind of Jack Lang, then I suppose Jack Wilshire against Norwich in back in the day really is. What, because you never see a goal like that before. Most of them don't come off. It probably contains all the elements that you requested. You know, most importantly of all, actually did go in. Is it the perfect goal? Even though, I, I'm not going to say it leaves me cold, Jack, but it, it clearly isn't in the top 100 goals ever scored. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think James is right. There has to be some kind of, to add the pejorative, it's the, it's the flicky stuff, right? It's the kind of, the stuff that you feel you could, if you boiled the goal down, you could do without the two little back heels and they'd just be normal passes. So I think on that, on that kind of metric, 
yeah, I mean, the Wilshire goal. So pretty perfect. So we know that the, we know we want lots of passes involved, James. Uh, we know we want a simple finish, and we know, according to Jack's template, we need a, at least five players doing something significant in the build-up. But talk me through some of the elements of this build-up. There has to be something specific that happens in the build-up to to sort of build it up to a perfect goal. Maybe like a I don't know a, a one-two, a bit of a give and go, some pass and move involved, or is it all just simple geometry in between the spaces? There definitely have to be a lot of exchanges of passes, and yeah, probably kind of like step like an unnecessary number of step overs. Like I feel like to me this was like you know as was mentioned like said a lot about Wenger's Arsenal and it would have been around the time that Cristiano Ronaldo was at Manchester United doing like 15 step overs or whatever at a time. So I can kind of see there being a bit of a pushback on things like that. Yeah, kind of unnecessary dummies and and whatever else. Like a sense of not just like playing the simplest, most effective pass as quickly as possible and taking a like shot from. 20 yards that may or may not beat the goalkeeper. It's like trying to work the perfect angle, laboriously knocking the ball back and forward, waiting for the moment where you know a defender steps out of line or the goalkeeper's caught slightly out of position. It's kind of toying with the opposition to an unnecessary degree, I guess. And we've established throughout this segment that it is a predominantly Arsenal obsession, not, not necessarily amongst their fans, but people who want to criticise them. Um, now, James, you've done some research based on this very well-known piece of popular culture. There you go, Moss. Right, Harry, did you see that ludicrous display last night? What was Wenger thinking, sending Walker on that early? The thing about Arsenal is they're always trying to walk it in. That is true. See you later, Moss. Well, there you go. <laughs> now, James, uh, all my favourite pieces of internet research begin with the words, after this episode was first broadcast. Yep, correct. So after that episode of the IT crowd was first broadcast, which is November 28th, 2008, mm. uh, which but it's worth bearing in mind at that point, you know, the previous season, Arsenal had been in the title race, obviously the European Cup final two years before that, the Invincibles four years before that. So, you know, they're in pretty good nick at that point. It's, it's long before the kind of Wenger out lull. Two days after that episode went out, Arsenal go to Chelsea and win 2-1. Now, the first goal they scored in that game came from Emmanuel Amunia hoof up the pitch, like a hundred yard hack up the pitch, a little bit of head tennis involving Emmanuel Adebayor, mm. and then a nice little interchange of passes and a good finish by Van Persie, fine. But the long and short of it is, it began with a massive hack up the pitch from Almunia. Yeah. So if anything, they just proved it immediately. That's wonderful. Great research. What added value you've provided here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, um, so my final question to you, Jack. A goal that's in some quarters regarded as the greatest goal ever scored, aesthetically at least, and given the context that in which it took place. How would you feel about um, Carlos Alberto's goal for Brazil against Italy in 1970? It, it, it takes a lot of walking the ball into the net boxes, but particularly because there was quite a lot of walking involved. <laughs> Um, I also think walking the ball is the finish not perfect goalie enough yeah I think maybe they could have elaborated a bit more if he'd, if he'd, if he'd cut it back for Pele to tuck home yes maybe Rivellino popping up at the back post to slide in that might well you can't have sliding in for the perfect goal it needs to be, no, no, needs no, to be no. a very very tidy little tap okay but yeah fascinating stuff thanks Mark Lewis now Paul Hutchinson got in touch. Picture the scene. The goalie claims the ball and starts to rush towards the edge of the penalty area. The producer cuts them in anticipation of a counter. Uh, my irritation is the inevitable disappointment when they just don't bother. They grasp the ball tight to their chest and proceed to moan about the lack of options. Uh, thanks. Great podcast. I absolutely love it. I love <laughs> this one, James, because this is a real bread and butter frustration, I think. You know, really, really at your core, even for a neutral observer. I think any game I'm watching bar a game in which the goalkeeper is playing for the other team, for the team I support. I want that ball to be released quickly. I want continuity in my football. And when, when there's that delay, when a goalkeeper assesses his options and there aren't any, I get frustrated. It ruins the spectacle. I actually think this could be within the realm of, uh, as mentioned on previous podcast, every effing time. Yeah. Because it's definitely one of those, as you just mentioned, like people genuinely want their team to go on the attack straight away. They don't want to see their team keep the ball, compose themselves and build out slightly from the back. They want to see like, like you know, breakneck football, counter-attacking football, players to make themselves available for the ball straight away and for there to be options up the pitch. Uh, so I can definitely see that being a situation that would frustrate those kind so of people. Quite, it's quite a Brexit sensation, isn't it? Play quicker, do it quicker, get it done. <laughs> exactly right. And yeah. you and I have just said we both feel that way, so that does, uh, that does tally. Is my irritation, and indeed Paul Hutchinson's irritation here, Jack, irrational? I mean, a goalkeeper's in charge. He can see it better than I can. He has the entire 
entire game in front of him, should we just trust their judgment? No, because part of it is thinking that the goalkeeper deep down does want to do it as yeah, well. Yeah, and yet I mean, that's what they rushed out for. Like they were holding yeah, they a fucking it. Molotov cocktail in a riot. It's like, come on, <laughs> do it. See, no, at no time do they fear more powerful than when they can bowl the ball out. And yet, you know, there's just a little angel on their shoulder saying, no, if, if we attack too quickly, there'll be spaces between the lines. I mean, it's, it's essentially been coached out of them, I think. And as much as I... <laughs> It's, it's that age-old thing. I, you don't want to be the old moany bloke. So our football is better, but yeah, counterattacks started by goalkeepers. Come on, that's that's our lifeblood. Off the top of your head, James, which goalkeeper do you most picture running out with the ball, realizing there are no options available to him, despite the fact he really wants to release it quickly and claim the glory for at least the pre-assist? and then showing his frustration. You know what, I can see, and I don't know if it's just that last bit, but Jordan Pickford... I can it's imagine. always Jordan Pickford, of course it's in- Jordan Pickford. Incredibly frustrated at not having an option, and then there yeah. being like a sort of ball tucked under his arm, a shrug, and a sort of, you know, aggy look at his defenders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a tilt of the head and a really puffy smile of aggression. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a very specific way. That's one for the live show next time anyway. Um, thanks, Paul Hutchinson. You've nailed it. Now, I'll tell you who else has nailed it. Chris Roche has nailed it. Hi guys, so a football irritation of mine, uh, when browsing a footballer's Wikipedia page, in the summary box at the top, it only shows league appearances and goals. For all competitions, you have to scroll all the way down to the career stats at the bottom of the page. I hope this annoys others as much as me, and if there are any Wikipedia editors listening, please clarify why you put me through this torture. This, this wins the award, James, of most BBC points of view sounding <laughs> entry. He's bang on, though. And not only is he bang on, honestly, I wrote this down in my own personal Mesut Harland Dick's long list about two hours before Chris Roche sent this in. So it's bona fide, as far as I'm concerned. And I have no idea why it's the case. Someone somewhere's going to sagely point this out tomorrow about why this happens. Yeah. But why, I mean, do you, why off the top here do you think it occurs? Because it's not... Um, well, firstly, I bet the kind of people that edit football Wikipedia will be the kind of people that listen to this podcast. So I would say with 100% degree of certainty, we will get the answer to this. I suspect the first footballer Wikipedia page that was set up with that format, and we could have a lot of fun speculating on who that might be, by the way. Oh, imagine. Who, who I would love... What, an, oh, what a Great mission question. that is to find out the first ever footballer Wikipedia page. Going to do it. Live commissioning. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I knew I'd get you in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suspect when that happened, that it was just set up in that format for whatever reason. The editor that had, had set up that page for, when would this have been? Like 2005? I bet it was like Thierry Henry or someone. So it would have been like 2004, 2005 maybe. I kind of feel like that was around the time. So yeah, whoever set that up did that for whatever reason. And that has just been the standard ever since. And it is it is not more frustrating for anyone than it is for people who edit football content for a living. Because you have to check that literally every single day and it is always annoying to have to scroll down. There's no reason for it. It's just it's just incredibly annoying. Generally speaking, it's just going to make a player's goal scoring ratio look less impressive, Jack, on the balance of probabilities. Um, now, James's theory, implied theory by me, that whoever created the first Wikipedia page just looked at the first column on CFAX and took it from there. <laughs> uh, is there a... What What is the most boring reason for this? Is it just that league goals are, they're bread and butter. You can't muck around with league goals. A league here is the same as a league there. Once you start throwing in league cups and secondary cup competitions, it muddies the waters. But I don't want to compare players. I just want to know how many goals they scored. I mean, two things. Like, firstly, anyone with putting any store in these statistics, you're going to at least scroll down to career statistics. That that big table, that's that's where the real business is done. Yeah. So in some ways, it's quite entry level, that little players thing. Players right. don't have them. Like oh, really good painful. players, strikers, don't yeah. have I a think... career like statistics box at the bottom. Pathetic. Do it yourself. Loads of kind of mid to late 90s Premier League strikers don't have them. It's, it's baffling to me. Put the effort in. Get your Rothmans out. Go on soccer base if you have to. Transfermarkt if you're really desperate and do it. Uh, I mean, as someone who, this is predictably Brazil-centric for me, but as someone who, who writes about Brazilian footballers a lot and they score a lot of their goals in state championships. Yeah. So Pele, Pele's goal record in, in the little box on the right-hand side <laughs> includes, you know, state championship. Yeah. And it's that is technically, it's a club domestic league. But right. it's not it's not the national the league. league. So yeah. If you're gonna do it, if you're gonna do it, chuck the word national in there as well. Because otherwise it might, you know, it might include all manner of local nonsense. He's probably the most kind of um stitched up by that. Uh, probably Romario or pretty much any sort of prolific Brazilian is gonna be completely stitched up by that career summary. Don't use that. Definitely yeah. not. I also like James um 
players who just, who, for some sections of their career, just have little question marks for how many goals they scored. Because <laughs> that immediately says to me, scored shitloads, like fucking shitloads, and it was amazing. I, it's a real badge of honour having question marks. I might put but, them in mine. <laughs> that, that's quite often like a player who started in non-league, right? And it'll be like the sort of second of four clubs they played for in non-league yeah. before they ended or, up joining whichever third division team. Exactly. Or later in their career, after already scoring shitloads of goals, <laughs> yeah. they went and played for someone utterly obscure in, like, in, in a country where they don't keep records or something like that. Don't publish a Rothmans. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The final irritation of football from the listeners this month comes from Warren Heyman. He says, announcing the attendance. It doesn't really matter to fans in the ground. No one says there were more last week. It's an anachronism. I love this bit. They don't announce the attendance at the cinema or theatre, do they? He's <laughs> <laughs> got football bang to rights, James. I mean, normally I'm dead against sort of bad parallels being drawn between football and other industries, but it's true. And maybe they should read out the attendance at the theatre. How good would that be? Yeah, that would be great. And then everyone, like in the interval, and then everyone, or just after the interval, I guess, that's normally when you get it at football, isn't it? Early in the second half. So this, the, like, uh, the interval has ended, the, the, the second act has begun. And then suddenly, like, the PA comes over and says, I mean, not, the I, attendance I, I, at the old thing tonight is however many, 1,400 or whatever. Thank you for your continued support. <laughs> of the arts. What, what about a parallel might be, I don't know, a, bi- a big gig, a notably big gig that may or may not be a record breaker. So, you know, Oasis at Nebworth. Did they, I mean, the question's out there. Did, would they have announced that on the night? I think it's not beyond the realm of possibility. That they would. A lot of football fans there would have appreciated it as yeah. well. It would have been that a really true. cool moment. I mean, about as easy fact- as to quantify as any football match, surely. Tickets through the door. Simple as that. I, I, I always like, I always like sitting next to someone in the press box and just the the exaggerated attention they pay they pay mm. when someone the attendance is announced like, oh, they whip their little pen out of their pocket and write it in big on the, t- oh, <laughs> on the top of their sheet me. the, the crappiest statistic of all to note down but then you know, i suppose you know as we've established in the wikipedia segment james we want completism so thank god there are people out there but are, are you an attendance applauder by any stretch of the imagination? I can't imagine I've ever applauded an attendance. I, I, I feel it's more likely to be sort of sarcastic cheers at a non-league game. And like, I mean, I've been to non-league games so boring and so sparsely attended that in the second half when that's been read out, you've been able to count the number of people in the ground to see whether or not it's right. Go up and, and, and applaud them individually. <laughs> shake everybody's hand and say, thanks for coming. <laughs> and, and I would say it's never, it's never anywhere near correct. And I suspect that's probably the case in the Premier League as well. I've not yet had the opportunity to count everybody at a ground in the Premier League. But it's just a completely pointless exercise because it will never be the same number of people that are actually in the stadium. I, I agree. Just, just, to be, just, to be, just to be absolutely sure on Warren Heyman's claim, Jack, would you do it at the cinema? Because that's, that's not really there because you're not really present for the, for the filming of the film. You're just there to watch it being screened. I don't think that counts. It has to be, it has to be a live experience, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that brings, brings us to a close for this month's Listeners, Meza Harlan Dix. It is incumbent on me to do this at the end of this episode, then. <laughs> Thanks to you, Jack Lang. See you for episode 479. Yeah, let me know just the day before, yeah? Absolutely, will do. Cheers to you. Cheers to you, James Moore. Cheers, Adam. Thanks for all your research. Thanks for everyone for listening and for everyone who got in touch. It was a classic. Cheerio. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.